0: It is so great to see you. If you know it, say it with me. We are the body of Christ, called to be Jesus in every neighborhood in San Antonio and beyond. And I'm so excited to report to you that each week we're getting closer and closer to seeing that become a reality. The faith that is growing in you is being turned outwards into the streets of San Antonio, the hill country, and God is stirring up some things. Last week, our um, two-area community have been gathering. Outer West two weeks ago had 151 folks who gathered in the Outer West. That's exciting. Last week our Brandeis area community met. Those living in the Brandeis High School area, 177 folks came together and we're very excited for, for them and what's going on in that community. And we've got a couple more to introduce you to... Uh, this week and soon, very soon, one of them is going to be coming your way and I'm going to invite you to join up with them to bring the hands and feet of Jesus to the hurting people of this community. And all the church said, amen to that. Well, in our journey down the Romans Road, last week we came to mile marker number four where Paul begins to ask and answer the question, what is my new purpose? Now that I've crossed this bridge of faith and in a in relationship with the living God, what is the new purpose He has for my life? Last week, We looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says our new purpose begins with our relationship with God. It has to start there in order for everything to work together. And he offered us the challenge that we would offer up our whole lives, our whole bodies as living sacrifices to God. A full-out commitment to live every day of our life in accordance with his priorities. And what he invited us to do is two things to get there. Number one, be careful. Be careful not to let the world squeeze you into its mold from the outside in. And if you're not careful, it'll sneak up on you and do just that very thing. And then he offers us a positive admonition that we would daily renew our minds, saturate our minds in the word of God, so that we might discern and discover the will of God for our lives and actually live them out, live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the assumption is that all of us who are followers of Christ, at least in our hearts, have made that commitment. And now beginning in chapter 12 and verse 3 of Romans, Paul is going to turn his attention to the other areas and the other relationships in our life uh, all the way through chapter 15 of the book of Romans. So if you are interested in what Paul has to say about the next area of our life, I'm going to encourage you to take your Bible and hold it high in the air as we once again say this prayer of commitment in our journey through the book of Romans. Say it with me. Dear Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We take this journey down the Romans road, knowing the destination is you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn again in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And as you're turning there, let me let you in on something, Paul is going to turn his attention from our relationship with God to talk about the importance and the principles regarding a relationship with myself. Now, I know that seems odd that we would talk about a relationship with ourselves individually, but we're going to see here in just a moment, this is the next appropriate step to take if we really want to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices to God and have a shot at living our lives in accordance with his perfect plan. You see, I have to have the right mindset about myself in order to have healthy relationships with other people. It's very true. In other words, how I feel about myself will automatically turn around and dictate how I feel and think about other people and ultimately will dictate how I end up treating other people. That's the focus. Of Paul's next admonition to us in Romans chapter 12 verses 3 through 8. If you have your Bible look first of all at verse 3. He writes, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. There it is. The second major action step for us to live out the purposes of God on our life is for us to not think too highly of ourselves. I like to put it this way. We need to grasp the value and the virtue of biblical humi- humility. Biblical humility is the primary focus of Paul's conversation with us today. Or like the way someone else put it, don't become a legend in your own mind. I like that. You know, Paul could have just as easily wrote, don't think too lowly of yourselves either. As a matter of fact, everyone hearing these words has a tendency of doing one or the other. You either think too highly of yourself or in fact you think too lowly of yourself and both of them are disastrous. I want you to evaluate where do you fall in the continuum. If you were to draw um, a low, uh, uh, thinking too lowly of yourself on the, on the right and then a line and then thinking too highly of yourself, where would you mark the X in your life? I want you to do that in your mind or even write it down. Do an assessment of what is your tendency. And by the way, no one can put the X in the middle like you have it all balanced out, all right? Now, as you're thinking about your own assessment, let me give you a couple of insights. If your tendency is to think too highly of yourself, then you will have a tendency towards self-promotion. You will have a... Uh, you'll have the tendency toward dominating a conversation with the subject being mostly about you. I like what the one person says, that's enough of me talking about myself. How about you? What do you think of me? (laughs) Maybe that's your tendency. You're a person who might find yourself um, uh, looking down or talking down to others that you deem less than you. You might find yourself criticizing other people either to their face subtly or behind their backs in a way or an attempt to build up your own self-perception of your value as a human being. You might even be known or have a tendency to brag to prove not only to others but maybe even to yourself that you really are a somebody. Now, swallow, because you're going to fall either in this camp or the other one, so choose one or the other. Do you have a tendency to think too highly of yourself? If you don't know, turn to the person. No, never mind. Don't do that. We don't have enough security in the room for that. But maybe you think too lowly of yourself. If you're this kind of person, your tendency is toward not self-promotion, but self-protection. You want to protect that little bit of self-esteem you feel like you have. So as a result, you have a tendency to shy away from risky opportunities that might come your way in fear that you're going to lose the little of you you still have left. You're overcome by fear oftentimes. You have a tendency of getting your feelings hurt a little bit more easily than maybe the person next to you. You let people sometimes walk all over you and talk all over you. You haven't yet discovered the difference between biblical humility and earthly humiliation. And there is a difference between the two. So where are you at in that continuum? Very important to assess. Now, Paul goes on to tell us that we should establish an assessment of ourselves with sober judgment. And yes, what he means is that we should not establish an opinion of ourselves when we are drunk because it's going to be off. But it's more than that. He is saying that we need to establish our sense of worth as individuals on the basis of the facts according to what is revealed in God's word. And so as we've been studying through the book of Romans, we've already covered 11 chapters where we came upon mile marker number one and mile marker number two on how to get into a relationship with God. And many people in the Oak Hills Church and the surrounding communities have taken this step of faith and now find themselves in an eternal relationship with the living God. And here on this side of the Romans road, God has given us in these first 11 chapters a new way to think about our value and worth as a person. It goes something like like this, my worth does not come from my performance, but my position. My worth does not come from what I do, but who I know. My worth does not come from how much I do, but how much he has done for me. I am a son, I am a daughter of the living God, an heir of his massive estate and nothing can change that now or in the future. When I walk into a room, my identity is not up for grabs so don't even try it. When I walk into a room, I don't walk in to prove who I am but rather to express who I already know I am in Jesus Christ. Biblical humility is not someone who carries low self-esteem, but rather biblical humility is someone who has a strong sense of God-esteem on the inside. Therefore, I can be humble on the outside because I know who I am on the inside. Therefore, I don't need to struggle with you on establishing my value as a worthwhile individual. Therefore, I am freed up to listen to you. Freed up to celebrate you. Freed up to To lift you up, so how about it? How can I serve you today? That is the perspective we've learned in Romans chapter eleven, one through eleven. Now today in our passage, Paul is going to give us two additional ideas to establish a sober judgment about ourselves. I want you to look at the end of verse three for the first one. He writes, In accordance with the measure of faith, God has given you. Now, the word measure in the Greek is the word metron, where we get our word metrics today. And there are several ways that people have interpreted or taken this notion that God has deposited a measure of faith in you. But today, I'd like to share with you how I understand it. I believe what Paul is saying is that God has given each one of us a certain quantity of faith But this quantity of faith, different from the person to the right and to the left of me, does not increase or decrease the qualitative value we have as human beings before God each of us think about it because I think that reality bears out this truth. Each one of us has been given a different capacity for how much we can handle at a given time. Some of us have been set up so we can handle a lot of stuff going on at a given time and are fine with it. Other people are set up or wired better to handle less at a certain time. And that's not either good or bad. It's just in a sober assessment of where you're at. I also believe that some have been given the capacity to handle more change and deal with more risk at a time. And other people are more averse to that and have been, given an, uh, have been given a makeup where they prefer less change and less risk. And we have a tendency in our human nature to establish one as being better than the other. Both sides do it, but what Paul is saying is that Both makeups are necessary to accomplish all of the purposes of God. Then he goes on to say that you have been given this capacity of faith or this capacity level by God to use appropriately to accomplish his purposes and his priorities. So a person may be of higher capacity. If they look down on a person of lower capacity, Paul's saying, you're the real loser here. Or a person who disdains a person with greater capacity. Paul is saying you're disdaining God himself who gave that person an extra measure of capacity. Now where do you fit? on the capacity meter. If you were to sort of assess yourself as it relates to um, where you're at in terms of the ability to, of how much you could handle capacity-wise, where would you put yourself on that continuum? As it relates to risk and change, where would you put yourself on that continuum? Let your assessment of yourself be sober. It's not right or wrong, but rather you need to come to terms and learn to be comfortable in your own skin. The second thing that Paul invites us to consider to establish an accurate picture of ourselves is in the area of giftedness some of you have heard about this topic before this is one of the primary passages that it's talked about look at verses 4 through 8 of Romans 12 just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given us If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully." By the way, this is one of several places in the New Testament that we're given this notion that collectively we are the body of Christ. So let's say it yet again. Ready? We are the body of Christ, called to be Jesus in every neighborhood in San Antonio and beyond. Paul is simply saying to us, today at the Oak Hills Church, that it takes all of the members of the body of Christ with all of the various gifts to accomplish the full purpose of God in this great city and beyond. That it would be silly for the hand to say to the liver, you know, I'm really the most important part of this body. Because if the liver got its feelings hurt and decided to shut down for a week, I think that the hand would recalculate the value of the liver in his body, wouldn't you? It would be foolish for the quarterback to say to the other members of the team, I'm clearly the most important member of this team. If that hurt the feelings of the front line and they sat out for an entire game, let the quarterback reassess if he's still alive the value of the other members of the team and what it takes to win a football game. I think you get the point. To top it off, Paul says to us, these gifts that have been deposited in you is not something that you self-generated, but rather they have been given to you by God himself. They've been given to you to use exclusively for his purposes, now that you're a follower of Christ, to be used to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, not used to establish a pecking order of importance between us. So what are your God-given gifts? In this passage, he gives us a total of seven. There are actually more, but for the purposes of our assignment today, I want you to take a look at these seven and identify which one best describes your top gift and maybe the second strongest gift you have, okay? As you look at these lists, which one do you say is your top gift and which one would you say is maybe secondary? Now let me make a comment about the first two. I think the others are fairly self-explanatory. The word prophesying means different things to different churches, but I think we all agree on this notion or idea. This is someone who has a gift of reading the Word of God and having insights on how the Word of God is speaking to our contemporary times and the near future. It's just a gift that God has given to that person. And then I think the second one, serving. This is a person who simply says, listen, I don't have to be in charge. Matter of fact, I prefer not to be in charge. I just have been wired to come along and faithfully serve. That's the way God has wired me. Then there's teaching, the gift of encouraging, the gift of giving, the gift of leading, the gift of showing mercy. Which one is your strongest and what is a good second place strength for you? For example, my wife would say, don't you dare check showing mercy, Randy. Don't you do it. Because sometimes people feel worse after you have left. So don't you check that one. So I got something else going on that ain't one of them. In summary, what Paul is saying is that when you and I, you or I, take what God has given us and we use what he has given us to elevate our value over other people, we have made a huge mistake. And we have entered into conflicts like nobody else. And we have created dysfunction in our relationship. Before Paul is going to turn his attention to how we deal with each other in the body of Christ verses 9 through 16 he gives us a list of practical principles that govern our relationships with each other. He is saying to us those are not even that important until you have developed a sober assessment of yourself. Because if you think incorrectly about yourself you are incapable of having healthy relationships with others. And this list of things I'm giving you will not be able to pull off until you come to terms with where your value comes from and what God has deposited in you to use for his purposes. Does that make sense? His challenge to us today is for us to see that we all have equal value before God based upon our relationship with God that came through faith in Jesus Christ, but we've all been given different capacity levels and different Gifts given to us by God to be offered up as living sacrifices to Him to accomplish His purposes. Billy Graham has an incredible capacity and an incredible gift, but his value to the body of Christ is not greater than the man or woman who will leave this building and head to a nursing home to caress the arm of their aging mother or Father, to provide them encouragement and dignity in the remaining days of life they have left. Both are essential in the kingdom of God." Now, I want to do is give a personal example of what I think Paul is teaching from my own life experience. I hope you receive it. Back in the early 90s, um, I was uh, ministering at a church in Arlington, Texas, And one of the things that we wanted to do was to help the members uh, develop a personal spiritual growth plan. Something we're going to be talking to you about in the days to come. A personal spiritual growth plan where they would take an assessment of where they're at in their spiritual journey with the hopes of discovering where they were strong and even discovering maybe one area where there was a weakness that with God's help, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the help of other people around them, they might be able to grow in their area of greatest weakness. So over time, uh, I worked with a bunch of people in creating an assessment tool called the Christian Life Profile Assessment Tool. And what it does, it takes these 30 big ideas in the Bible, 30 things that I think God wants to see developed in our lives as followers of Christ, and, uh, and wants them to be working functionally in us. And what we did was we broke them down into three categories. Ten of them are the top ten core beliefs, or the top ten ways we can think like Jesus. The second list of ten are the top ten practices, spiritual practices, that the Bible encourages us to develop in our life, or the top ten ways in which we can act like Jesus. And the final list are the top 10 virtues or character traits that God wants to see developed in who we are becoming or ways in which we can become like Jesus. To think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, and to become like Jesus. With each of these 30, we identified four assessment statements that you would evaluate your life against to come up with some indicators on where you were strong, and where you might be a little weak. But here is uh, the real trick to this thing. We also invited the people to take... And identify three people in your life of your choice who would also do this assessment on you only in the area of your virtues. Because Paul said in the book of Galatians, let your gentleness be evident to all. Meaning that these virtues are like the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 that are external in our life and can be evaluated and seen by the people around us. And so you were to choose three people to evaluate you as it relates to your virtue or how you're becoming like Jesus, at least in your relationship with them. So it was a great thing. Took off like, like gangbusters in the church and until uh, our neighborhood group in Arlington decided that we should do it as a group and share our assessments with each other. Roseanne and I were slotted to share uh, in 30 days, and so I went to work on doing my self-assessment. Now, here's the tricky thing. I had written all 120 assessment statements, and I knew how they categorically went back to all the 30 categories, and I knew that if I tanked myself in several areas, that I'd be confessing something I didn't want to confess, so I authentically was careful in how I ranked myself authentically. But what I could not control were these assessments that I gave out to three other people. People I thought I could trust. <laughs> I gave the first one to our executive minister who managed our staff and I thought, he's going to be nice to me because he works for me. But then, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what overcame me. I gave the second one to my 14-year-old daughter at the time. She's in junior high. She doesn't even know who she is, let alone who I am. What am I doing? And then, I gave the last one to my wife. (laughs) Why don't you just put a dagger in her hand? (laughs) Well, all three of these people uh, assessed me on these ten core virtues. And interestingly, they all gave them back to me in sealed envelopes. I didn't give him an envelope to give it back, but they all put them in sealed envelopes. What's that all about? So it was time for me to see what they had to say and compare it to what I had to say and, and I, I felt compelled to find a, a private room where no one would bother me. I was really unnerved by this whole thing. As a matter of fact, when I went to open the first envelope, I noticed that my hand was shaking. It really was and I thought, what is this all about? And it dawned on me. This was the first time in my entire Christian walk Even though I am now a senior minister of a large church, this is the first time in my entire walk with Christ that I ever invited anybody who loved me to give me insight on how I was doing in becoming more like Christ. I was nervous. And I opened up all three of the assessments, and to my surprise, all three of them ranked me really high on some of the areas giving me a great sense of encouragement that I have moved down the Romans road and Christ is having his way with me in some areas and I was so encouraged until I saw the one area that all three of them tanked me on. All three of them not only tanked me on the same area but the same exact assessment statement. All of them. And my initial thought was, this is a conspiracy. They have all gathered together to do this to me. I thought they loved me. I thought, no, that doesn't make sense. Then I moved to denial. This is not accurate because I went over to my assessment of myself in that area and I ranked myself a ten. So they apparently don't know me that well. So then I, I was in denial. Then I moved to anger. I'm like, who are you to assess me? Yeah, I asked you to assess me, but I didn't ask you to be dishonest. Okay, so let's say I have this problem. Where's your assessment? Let me assess you. You think I have problems. <laughs> Wait till you got way more problems than me. I don't know why you're pointing a moral finger at me and all that. So I went through the anger stage. But finally, I came to the reality stage. These were three people who did not ask to do this sort of risky thing. These are three people in my life, who love me. And they all three, independent of one another, said, Randy, God's having his way with you in a number of areas. But if you're asking, this is an area that you could really grow in. I remember it took a couple days, but I finally sort of settled in. And I remember talking to God and said, okay, God, I am going to own this. Apparently, this is true of my life. And I remember in prayer, uh, really identifying with that, and then identifying a couple things that I was going to try to do to shore up this area, which I consider to be utterly despicable. Well, time came for us to share this with our neighborhood group. That night, it was standing room only. Everybody had shown up not only from our neighborhood, but other neighborhoods to hear the senior minister confess his sin before everybody in the community. And I was really nervous about it. When it came my turn after Roseanne had went, came my turn. I was really excited about sharing the strengths, and I thought I might be able to stay on that long enough to run out of time. But that didn't work. They were willing to stay into the wee hours of the morning to hear this. Then I thought to myself for just a moment, I thought, you know, it's really not appropriate for me to share this because a lot of people um, are encouraged by the notion of the fact that their minister is perfect in every way. And that, that, that actually, it would be okay for me to share, but it might be discouraging for them, and I, it's really all about them, and, and so maybe it's just not appropriate for me to share that I have struggles because you wanna believe that I don't, and maybe I should keep that myth going for your sake. And I wrestled with that and said, no, no, I, I really need to be honest with what God is doing in my life. And then I finally decided if I share this, this could, go, this could be a bad thing for me because there's not a lot of ministers that are out there kind of talking honestly about where they're struggling. So I decided to say it. I was nervous. I said, um, I, Randy Frazee, lack humility. But it's not just that. Apparently, I, Randy Frazee, am known as a person who brags and I put my head down and I remember having this thought, my life as I know it is over. You, you can't share that kind of a despicable thing that you should have figured out by kindergarten and be in your 40s and still act like an infant and brag about yourself, name drop. There's no way I'm getting of, getting away with this. There was a small pause And then the room broke out in laughter. I said, what are you laughing about? They said, we came here tonight to hear you share this. This is your sin. We wanted you to tell us something we didn't already know. I said, wait a minute, you guys already know this about me? They said, oh, everybody in the whole community knows this about you, Randy. For crying out loud. We wanted you to tell us something deep and dark. I said. So you guys already knew this. Oh, absolutely! why didn't you tell me? You never ask. (laughs) And I thought to myself in a moment of grace, you know what? These people have seen my weakness all these many years and yet they're still hanging with me. They still love me. They still respect me. They still listen to my teaching. Maybe it's possible for me to be authentically who I am before the body of believers. And with their help, I might be able to shore up this thing in my life. And so with great encouragement, I began to work on this area of humility. And I'm pleased to announce that after one year, I became completely humble. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to do that with a straight face, but you guys didn't buy it. Okay, No, I'm not there, and I'll tell you why. But I am making progress. I really do believe I'm making progress. And I'll I'll tell you why it's been a hard journey because you don't, with these virtues, with these fruits of the Spirit, you don't wake up like for me and say, by golly, today I'm just going to try to be a lot more humble. Because that's not why you're being being, uh, arrogant or you're bragging. It's something deeper. And you know what it is for me? It was my identity in Christ. I had given at least three or four messages where I got up and told people about the importance of assessing your value in your relationship with Christ. That's what makes you a somebody, but apparently I didn't get it. I could teach it, but it wasn't true of my life. And Over these last 14 years, I have been working on really not only teaching it and knowing it, but believing that I, Randy Frazee, am somebody, not because of what I do, or how much I do, but because of who I know. His name is Jesus Christ, and I'm becoming more and more comfortable in my own skin with the capacity and with the gifts he's given me. I'm giving up on trying to be like you, and I'm just going to try to be the best me that I can be. So how about you? How can I serve you today? And all the church said.